Thanks very much. Very kind of you. Today, we are talking about repentance, which is definitely in the top 10 awkward, uncomfortable Christian words, Christian topics. And I wonder what you think of when you hear the word repent. Maybe for you, you think of, oh, that was that thing that I did that time when I became a Christian years ago. They sort of said I had to do this thing and they led me through a prayer and so I kind of did it and that is what repentance looks like. Or maybe for you, the word repent is the exact word every single time that you would drop off when the school vicar, the local vicar came to speak at your school assembly. Or maybe for you, the word repent just conjures up images of street preachers on the corner angrily chasing you down, saying, repent, repent. Whatever it might be for you, repent, certainly in today's culture, is, is a bit of an unattractive word. Some would maybe say a bit of an ugly word, certainly outdated. And today, I want to try and reclaim, if you like, some of the beauty of what repentance can be in the life of a believer and for all of us actually whether we would say that we're believers or not. As we enter into the second part of our our Ruth series uh, looking at um, the the, the second part of chapter one we are going to see Naomi's own journey of repentance and we're going to see that it is through these moments of repentance in our life that we get to experience more of God. And so today's message I'm calling Reclaiming Repentance. And we're going to look at the whole passage from from chapter 1, verse 6 through to verse 22. We're not going to read all of that out, but we'll kind of work our way through it. So we're going to start with verses 6 through to 7. So chapter 1, verse 6. Then she should appear on the screen just behind me. Uh, Then that's that's Naomi. So Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And we'll just pause there. We are talking about repentance today because repentance is all over this passage of scripture that we're looking at. Literally, it is all over it. When we are interpreting the Bible, the words that scripture uses are really important. And through these 17 verses that we are looking at, the words return or turn back or brought back are used time and time and time again. In fact, 12 times throughout those 17 verses. And that the same Hebrew word is the word for those words that are then rendered in English slightly differently at different points. And that same word that is we have as return or, or turn back or brought back is the Hebrew word for repentance. And, it gets, and that's because that is what repentance means. It means a turning of our life away from that which is bad towards that which is good, hence it, being, hence it being rendered as turning around or returning. And so this repeating of the word, the same word in the Hebrew, we have to remember in the Old Testament when they had these stories, they, they didn't 
primarily read it. Most of them couldn't read, but they heard these stories. And so they'd have this rhythmic repeating of the same word throughout so that the listeners could know as they hear the plot unfolding exactly what it is that the author is trying to get across. And in case we were in danger of missing out on it, he also uses the author a similar technique to emphasize exactly what he wants to say by bookending the passage that we're looking at with the emphasis on return. So we might have it just here on verse 6 and 7, just to highlight it. I'm not going to read it again, but you see the word return and return doubled at the beginning of the passage, the beginning of the journey. And then as they have their journey and come to the end after their journey, we then have the next verse, uh, sorry, the next, the next slide, verse 22, right at the end, with this kind of doubling of this word re- return, which is almost redundant. Let me read it out to you. It says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. It doesn't need that repeating, but the author puts it in there so that we don't miss. This is a passage about return. This is a passage about Naomi's repentance. And last week, we were left on a cliffhanger in verse 5. Naomi and her family had left God's promised land. They had compromised on their faith and said, we are leaving God's place that he's given us to go to this foreign, far-off country of Moab. And we saw that all of them had died in Moab, except for Naomi. And we have this picture of Naomi, this, this widow, all alone in a foreign land, All her family have died. And the natural thinking is surely she is next. Surely she is going to be swallowed up by Moab just like her family were. And then we move to verse 6. And it says, then she arose. I think, what has happened? What has happened to to bring this about? The second half of verse 6 shines some light on it. For she had heard in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. That after the famine that we saw last week in verse 1, now in Judah, there is finally food. But notice what it says. It doesn't say, oh, suddenly the weather turned, the heavens opened, there was rain, seeds started to to gestate, and yeah, tall harvest came because the weather changed. Or, oh, finally, after so many years of waiting, an Aldi finally has opened up in Judah so we can get our cheap goods and those bonkers items on the middle aisle. No, it says the Lord has visited and given his people food. This is the first time we hear of God's activity in the book of Ruth. And he comes and he visits. Such a personal word. He visits, he draws near, he takes care of his people, he provides, he makes sure that they have their deepest need. He has what they need to survive and do well. This personal attentiveness of God comes through the passage coming to his people who are in distress, entering right into this story that we've seen of of tragedy and loss and emptiness into that story, God is on the move. But notice that this activity of God, it would not have touched Naomi's life if she had not, verse 6, 
heard. She hears the good news that God has visited his people. Hears the good news that he has provided. He is working. And as she hears the good news, she starts to change. She starts to become a different woman. Verse 5, we saw her. She was left without. She was fading. But then verse 6, as we have seen, then she arose to return. It's like an awakening has happened in Naomi's life. It's like life has been breathed into her as she hears this good news. Her circumstance is changing. Something is, there is hope once again back at home. For Naomi, who she's far off, She's made some bad life choices. She thinks she has shipwrecked her whole life. She thinks she's shipwrecked her faith. But she hears the good news. It comes to her and this breath of life comes to her that she can start her journey back home, her journey of restoration. This is the power of good news. This is the power of us hearing good news. It can impart life into us. This is why at Revelation Church, we are a people of good news. We are people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why every single week, without fail, and we'll never stop, and it'll never grow old for us, we always proclaim to one another the good news. How good was it in our worship time of just hearing scripture after scripture after scripture, most of them on the theme of, look what God has done for us. Look how he has come to us and saved us and rescued us. This is why we are people of the good news of Jesus Christ, free the free gift of salvation given to us by his grace as a gift. And we keep proclaiming it. We keep singing the same songs all the time. I mean, we have different variations on them. It's not because we like the songs, although we do, and Nat and Food do a great job in leading us. But we do it. Even when we can't sing, we hear it because the power of hearing good news changes us and imparts life into us. When we have messed up our lives, when we have made bad life decisions, when we think we have shipwrecked our life, that this is, this is it, there is no way back, there's no hope for us, we come, we hear good news and realize there is hope after all. That we too can arise, we too can return home. It may be that today there is a work of repentance for you to either to do today or to start to do today. That maybe that's what God has lined up for you. If so, it's not about God pointing out to you, oh, this is how far you've got it wrong. This is how much you've messed up. If repentance is what we need to do, it is about God showing to us this is how good the good news is. It's going to lead you all the way home. And so Naomi starts this long journey back to Bethlehem and Ruth and Orpah join her. And these are her daughter-in-laws who uh, married the sons of Naomi that have now deceased. And so they say, no, no, we want to come with you. And so they embark upon this journey to Bethlehem. And then in verse 8 and 9, 
Naomi has this first go at trying to get them to stay. She says, look, it is, I appreciate your kindness so much. Thank you so much, for, uh, thank you so much for coming with me and saying that you want to stay with me. You don't want to leave me. You're so generous. You're so sweet. You're so kind. But you can't come with me. I've got nothing for you. You need to go back to Moab. You need to restart your life. You need to move on from the tragedy that we've been through. And so Naomi then, she prays for them and blesses them, kind of an ancient way of saying, look, this has got to come to an end now. And there's a a bit of a subtext in the way that Naomi's praying and saying goodbye to them is, is she's saying and underlining how little she has. What she's saying to them is she's asking God, God, would you repay the kindness that these women have shown to me? Because she can't. She has nothing to offer. And so she says, God, would you bless these women? Because I can't. And this interchange between Naomi and Ruth and Orpah is a conversation fraught with emotion, as you might expect. This has been a heartbreaking time for these three women. They have all lost their husbands. Naomi has lost both of her sons as well and is left all alone. And they have been brought together by their grief. And the prospect of them separating, Ruth and Orpah then start to weep and say, no, 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 we can't leave you on your own. We are going to return, that word again, we are going to return with you. And Naomi, she's having none of it. She then stresses her poverty once again to Ruth and Orpah. Let's pick it up, verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope... Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is a powerful, impassioned plea from Naomi saying, you have to go. And the way that she makes this powerful point is by painting this, quite frankly, absurd image of how little she has to be able to offer them and how little she has in her hand. She paints this kind of, she says, look, even if the absolute impossible was to happen, if a, just out of nowhere, a husband for me was just to sort of grow up out of the ground, ooh, hello, and then she were to conceive And somehow she were able to skip the nine-month normal gestation period that many of us are aware of from year five sex education and some of us are living through at the moment or have lived through. We're all very familiar with it and they didn't go through that. But just these babies just, you know, appeared out of nowhere. Even if that were to happen, the, the ridiculousness of that, you would still have to wait years and years and years to then be able to marry them and have what you need. She's trying to state in the strongest possible terms, do not stay with me. I have nothing for you. Squat, nada, do not come with me. You will be disappointed. No future, no security, no stability if you come with me. 
It's, like, it's almost like she's getting exasperated with Ruth and Orpah. It's like, do you not see? Am, am I not speaking whatever language it was that I was speaking? English would not be the one. Am I not like? Am I am I missing something? How can I better express to you? I have got nothing. But it's in this explicit nothingness that Naomi is expressing and owning in her own life. That as Naomi walks on this road to return, as she is step by step walking closer and closer to God, back to God, in this, what a picture of repentance we see. And what Naomi is expressing is outside of the promised land, outside of God, I've got nothing, nothing. And as she's pointing her life back towards God, saying, I am relying on God now for everything. Outside of him, no hope, but maybe in God there's something. I can't make anything out of my life. I just can't do it. I have been unable to carve out for myself the good life, unable to find happiness and fulfillment and provision by my own means. God, I need you and only you can do it, is what she's saying. I personally find this place that Naomi is in so hard to get to. I am a proud man. I don't like admitting I am inadequate. I don't like admitting that I don't have enough in and of myself, that I can't do it all myself. I can't provide for everything myself. I like to think that I rely on God for everything. But deep down, I know there is a place within me that if I didn't have God, I would be able to rely on other things. I'd be able to look after myself. I'd be all right. I'd be able to, to some extent, make a good life for myself if I didn't have God. That's what I think deep down. Because I think the problem that we have, many of us, is that we are, we're educated, many of us. Maybe we're qualified. Maybe some of us have got full-time jobs. And so if you've got a full-time job, you've probably got a full-time salary. You might have savings in the bank. You might have all manner of things. Maybe just able to rely on, have access to benefits. Whatever it might be, we can think, look, if the worst were come to the worst, I don't need to rely on God. I'll be okay. But Naomi shows here, true repentance is looking away from those things, looking away from the things that we might rely on, turning away from those and saying, God, no, I rely on you for everything. I need you to come through for me. I can't rely and put my trust in anything else. There is no pride on display from Naomi, no self-deception at all. Just raw honesty of the position that she is in, of how much she needs God. It's the posture of repentance. 
And if we are able to adopt this posture of full reliance on God, see how he comes through for us. The end of verse 14 goes like this. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. While Orpah kisses Naomi and says goodbye, this is the last we see of Orpah, Ruth runs to her, runs to Naomi and clings to her. And this word clung is a, an interesting word in this instance. It means to cleave. It's the same word that we see in Genesis chapter 2 of, of Adam and Eve being cleaved to one another. It talks of a permanent joining, a uniting of one person to another. It's a clue that we are not witnessing just an ordinary, normal hug. We are certainly not witnessing a cautious hug. This is something special. And Ruth responds to Naomi's plea to turn back in verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go... I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These words from Ruth are... They are some of the most beautiful, faith-filled, faithful, committed words of commitment and loyalty and love that you'll find anywhere in Scripture, anywhere in literature history. But in the context of this scene, they are absolutely stunning. Here we have Naomi. Here we have This woman standing in her total emptiness, marked by loss, frankly expressing passionately her nothingness, her lack. And in that place, Ruth comes and clings to her. Ruth unites herself to her, joins her. If you like, she adds herself to Naomi a permanent and forever pledge of her loyalty to her. It's a, it's a breathtaking moment. But just as her hug was not a normal hug, these words that she says to Naomi, they are not normal words. Where she says, for where you go, I will go. Where she promises that to Naomi, that promise sounds a lot like Jesus' promise to his disciples. Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Where Naomi, sorry, where Ruth promises to Naomi, Where you lodge, I will lodge. That sounds a lot like the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. Saying that I and my father will come and make our home in you. Where she says, I will be your, excuse me, where she says, your people shall be 
my people, where she promises that to Naomi. That sounds an awful lot like the promise that God makes time and time again to his people. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And where Ruth says to Naomi, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried, promising this union that we will have. We will be united in death and we will be united in burial. That sounds an awful lot like Paul's words, Romans chapter 6. You will be buried with Christ, united with him in his death. These promises that Ruth is making to Naomi are the promises that resound throughout Scripture that God speaks over his people. Promises of the love, steadfast love, faithful love, loyal love, committed love. A love that gives. A love that is costly. A love that is sacrificial. Exactly what we see here. Because what Ruth is expressing here is she's saying, I will give up everything, everything to be with you. The cost she is embarking upon here and embracing is huge. She's saying, I will embrace widowhood. I will embrace childlessness. I will embrace homelessness in order to give myself and to be with you. Now, in any culture, in any day, at any time, this is a costly thing to do. But in this culture, for a woman to say she will willingly become a widow, not have children, be homeless. This was to give up everything, to give all up. This is Ruth saying that she will empty herself for the sake of Naomi. The same emptying that we see in Philippians chapter 2 of the one who emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Ruth is not a book where we see a parting of the Red Sea. It's not a book where we see an audible voice of God booming down from heaven or a burning bush or in your face God moments. There's plenty of other bits of scripture that give you those. It's more subtle, but undeniably, this is a book where God is on the move, where he is acting, as we saw already in verse 6, that every moment, every verse of this book, God is visiting his people and he is giving to his people. And here he is giving Naomi his love. He is bringing the love of God to life for Naomi. And he's doing it through a person. He's doing it in the person of Ruth. This same love that has now come to life for us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is how God meets his people through repentance. This is why we need to reclaim repentance, if you like. This is why repenting is not an awkward or uncomfortable, slightly ugly word for us as believers. This is why it should characterize our life, the life of every disciple, on a daily basis, because it is through repentance, through immediately, as Naomi says, and, and expresses the depth of her emptiness and her nothingness and how she's got nothing in her hands to bring and to offer, immediately as she does that, 
the love of God is made manifest to her and comes and clings to her and adds itself to her in the person of Ruth. God is at work in her life through her repentance. And all it takes, the only requirement that, is, that, that Naomi needs is total emptiness and emptiness of hands. Knowing that we have nothing, admitting that we have nothing, coming before God empty, knowing that he will add to us. And there is an opportunity every day for each of us to engage in this act of repentance, this beautiful act of repentance. So easy for us to get hold of. What it looks like, all we need to do is just sit down in our bedroom or our living room, get a cup of great coffee in your hands and come before God and say, you, know, you do need the cup of good coffee. It's not going to work otherwise, all right? It's how God's blessing is made known to us. Coming before him and just saying, God, this is, don't do this with your coffee. <laughs> Coffee's down now. Coming before him and saying, God, this is how I've got it wrong. This is how I got it wrong yesterday. This is how I messed up. God, this is not who I want to be. This is not how I want to live. Will you help me turn my life around? Will you help me live for you today to say no to the temptation of that sin that I know I'm vulnerable to? Or maybe it will look like, God, look, I, I know I have had this attitude prevalent in my heart for too long. I've given it room. I've allowed it space to grow. And I know it's ugly and I know it's not of you. But I've become accustomed to it. I want to walk away from it. I want to be free from it. God, would you help me? Help me to live differently. I can't do this without you. That's all it looks like. Coffee is optional. You don't have to go for the coffee. Through these kinds of acts of repentance, we encounter and experience the love of God made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, it just sounds too simple, doesn't it? Surely I can't just do that and get more of the love of God in my life. But this is what we see in the model of Naomi. And today, maybe you have, have never taken this first step of repentance. Maybe you've never turned your life away from the old things and looked to Jesus and said, Jesus, look, I want to follow your way. Well, in just a few minutes' time, we'll make an opportunity. Perhaps this could be the start for you on your journey towards him. As they then move towards their destination and arrive in Bethlehem, we see that this repentance does not have to be neat and nor does it have to be tidy. As Naomi allows Ruth to come with her, they arrive in Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem and they become the talk of the town. I mean, the women of the town, it says, they get to chatting about what is going on here. The neighbors are interested in where Naomi has been. And they're like, Naomi, come on, tell us, is it really you? Like you left with your husband and your sons and now you're, you're here? What's happened to you? I mean, tell us everything, obviously for prayer, but tell us everything. And so Naomi opens up in verse 20. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Here we see 
if we'd perhaps forgotten or lost sight of it, the raw pain that Naomi is experiencing and has been through. Lost her husband, lost her two sons alone. She is, she's wounded. And here we see some of the emotion start to spill out. And this, this whole episode really is, there is intense, understandably, intense, real, raw human emotion on display. We saw it in Ruth and Orpah weeping. We saw it in the kissing, the clinging. There is, there's drama involved in it, human drama. And for most of us, we could never imagine the travesty and the tragedy of what it is that Naomi has been through. But yet, undeniably, through all that she has faced, she has shown and displayed true faith in God. It sounds like she perhaps is doubting here, but we must remember she heard the good news in Moab. She heard it when she was far off. She heard that there is food, that God is good, and he is providing. And she dared to believe this could be for me. She dared to believe this God is good. And so she made her way back. She's responded in faith, whilst also expressing her frustration and maybe even her fury at God. That her current perspective and understanding of the situation is that the Almighty God has dealt bitterly with me, very bitterly. He has brought these calamities upon me. She is not afraid to sugarcoat her perspective on, the, on, on what's gone on and bring her pain towards God. And so I think it's fair for us to think she is grateful to God for what he has done. That he has put bread on the table and that she can come and receive the bountiful blessing of God. She's probably, to some extent, celebrating that. Here we see repentance doesn't mean that we have to somehow stifle our pain or forget the very real wounds that we're feeling, or to just, you know, get over it and turn to God. I think what we see here is such an important principle that we can respond in faith, genuine faith. We can hear and receive and rejoice in the good news of all that God has done and how he has worked over here, while still being confused and wounded by things that have gone on over here. Naomi brings all of her pain back with her to the promised land. All of it back with her to God. And the book of Ruth really does give us, I think, permission to engage with some of the raw real human emotions, the complexities of being a disciple of Jesus Christ in a very broken world. The joys and the sorrows, the things to celebrate and the confusion, often swirling around us as some giant bird's nest of emotion all at once. And I think we need to know this right now in these days. Because life at the moment is complex to say the least 
we can be grateful. We can be super happy over here and saying, God, thank you so much that you are bringing lockdown to an end. Thank you that you are delivering us out of the the, the, the difficulties of the last 18 months. Thank you, God. You have done it. You are on the move. Whilst also over here, still being able to say to God, hang on a minute, God. What, what were these last 18 months? What were you doing? They've been painful. They've hurt me. I don't understand what you were doing. And expressing in as real terms as we need to before God exactly how we're feeling. Because we will see in future weeks, what we see in Naomi is that it is through bringing this to God that she is restored, healed, and filled once again. And the last sentence of this passage is a tantalizing one where it says, They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And we see just how far Naomi has come. That when we joined her at the beginning last week, She was in a place of famine. She was in a place of leaving the land. She was in a place of rebellious compromise in her faith. But yet, as the chapter draws to an end, it's ending in harvest, not famine. Return, not leaving. And obedient repentance rather than unfaithful compromise. She walked away, but in her words, in verse 21, the Lord has brought her back. As the good news cried out from Judah, she heard it, she arose, she responded, she repented. And through her repentance, through Ruth being added to her, she has begun to experience the love, the provision of God in her life. And she enters Bethlehem with Ruth as harvest begins and it just leaves us wondering what further provision and goodness might God have in store for her and for Ruth as the story goes on and I'll leave that for Jem next week.